0: please turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're going to be reading Psalm 112 today. If you open up your Bible in the middle, you go a little bit left of that. That's the Psalms, and you'll probably get to Psalm 119 a little bit before that. Um, We've been studying Psalms throughout the summer, and the Psalms cover a variety of both content and styles and um, the psalm we'll be looking at today is a psalm of wisdom. That is, its aim is to teach. That's its primary aim. And in fact, this psalm was probably especially memorable as a teaching psalm because it's uh, t- to its original Jewish audience because in Hebrew, which is what it was written in, um, it's an acrostic. And that just means that each line begins with the next letter of the alphabet, so A, B, C, etc. cetera. Um, now, th- just as a note, the psalmist didn't have to do that. Right? They didn't, he didn't have to choose this structure. He could have wrote, written it a different way. But he chose to write it this way, and most likely he did that to make it more memorable, to, to, to make the content easier to remember. A is for, you know, the kids, you know, A is for apple, B is for banana, right? They have these, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a teaching methodology. So the psalmist believed that what he wrote down was worth remembering. And we have the privilege of reading what he wrote today. So we're going to read Psalm 112, then we're going to pray for God's help as we um, hear the preaching of his words. So Psalm 112, this is the inspired word of God. It says this, "'Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land.'" The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word we thank you for speaking to us this morning, and we ask for your help. We ask for you to give us ears to hear what you have to say to us today, and hearts that are ready to be informed by your correct perspective of the world. So give us, give us ears, give us hearts ready to embrace all that you say today, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I work for an engineering firm, um, and in that we use a lot of software. Um, most of that software is really powerful and really useful, um, but it can also be really frustrating at times. Right? Um, and one place I see this frustration is when, is when people don't really use the software it was intended, the way it was intended to be used. Right? Um, so some people are so familiar with software A. You know, think of, um, if you used to Macintosh versus Microsoft, right? You, you switch from one computer to the other, and you're like, "Where none of my shortcuts work, and I can't find clothes. There's, there's a frustration when you, when you change from one software to another one that it doesn't work the way they want it to. Well, it's because they don't understand the way it's supposed to work. They're used to a different workflow. And other people, like myself, have issues with software just because we just don't know enough about it yet. Um, I don't even know, what, you know wh- where, to, where to look for answers, or even what questions to ask. Um, but when you finally understand how a software is supposed to work, um, when you understand the intent and, and, and the thought process and the design, the programmers behind it, thinking they're thinking, OK, here's a good workflow. When you get into their head and you figure out how it's supposed to be used, it can be amazing just how effortless, effortlessly and beautifully it can help you with your job. Not all softwares are that way. But some, when you understand how it works, it makes everything a whole lot easier and more enjoyable. Now, this psalm isn't about computer software, (laughs) thank goodness, but it does speak of a creator with a specific intent for his design. See, God created the universe, and and what's more, he has a very specific intent for it. Like a computer programmer who, who designs his software to be used in a particular way, God designed this universe for a very specific purpose. If we don't understand that purpose, if we don't live in his universe the way he meant for us to live in it, we're going to be frustrated. It won't go well with us. Like those who, who don't use the software correctly will just get frustrated and we will fail to enjoy the blessing of understanding and living out the intent of the designer. It's only when we follow the designer's intent do we fully enjoy what he's made. The goal of the psalmist this morning is to inspire us, to inspire us to live in God's universe the way he meant for us to. For in, in, that, in that form of living, there is great blessing. Now, perhaps you feel overwhelmed by this idea of living, God's, you know, living in God's universe the way he, he meant for us to do. Uh, you might be intimidated uh, by what seems to be a very steep learning curve. Um, for living life God's way. You feel like you've already got so much to do, and just to add on more sounds, sounds like a burden. It just sounds like too much. Like, man, I, I, I don't know if I can take on that today. Or perhaps you find yourself regularly frustrated or just confused with, way, with God's way of, of doing things. Um, you, you might get on social media or your newsfeed and, and see and, and think that there's a whole lot more wisdom out there um, for the relevant issues in your life than, than what you read in your Bible or, or here at church, in, including a, some Hebrew poem from a few millennia ago. <laughs> how, does, how does that help me live today? How, how does that pertain to my life? I can be frustrated. Maybe you're frustrated with God's word. Well, if either of those cases is you, you know, being daunted by the task or frustrated with his perspective, this psalm is God's gift to you because he wants to bless you. That's what he wants to do today. God blesses those who fear him, and that should cause us, in turn, to praise him. So today, we're going to walk through the argument that the psalmist makes. He makes an argument that fearing God is really good for you. That's his argument. Fearing God is really good. It's really good for you. So we're going to just walk through each step. We're going to look at the psalmist's claim, the psalmist evidence and then a contrast at the end so before we jump in just as a fair warning um we're going to spend so much uh, a lot more time on that second um piece of the argument the the evidence uh because that's where the psalmist camps out for a long time as well so just be prepared point two is long we'll get through it (laughs) don't think that it's going to be an hour and a half sermon okay it shouldn't be all right if it is someone grab a hook and pull me off of here No, so we're going to jump in. We're going to start with the psalmist's claim, the claim. He makes his claim in verse 1. He says this, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. The word translated Lord here is, um, and the pronunciation, I don't know if it's quite right, but Yahweh. That's, That's God's personal name. That, that reminds his people of the, of the covenants that he keeps with them forever. So we might just rephrase this, fearing Yahweh is really good. That's the psalmist's claim. Now, what exactly does it mean to fear Yahweh? Well, to fear Yahweh definitely involves, um, well, it's, as the name implies, fear. There, there's, a, there's a reverent awe. It's, it's not terror, but it is awe. And it's an awe that that recognizes the power of the one whom you're beholding. It's it's an awe similar to to what you may experience when you uh, when you watch the the crashing waters of Niagara Falls. My my family and I had a chance to to go there, and we were on the I think it's called the Misty May, and, and you're in just you're only in the mist of the water hitting hitting the lake below or whatever you call that, um, and you think you're in the waterfall because there's just water going everywhere, and you're soaking wet by the end. Um, there's an awe that comes with that. Or or like with a lightning storm where there's just booming thunder and you go, wow, that's power beyond me. So there is a reverent awe that the fear of the Lord entails. But the psalmist here focuses on a a particular aspect uh, of the fear of the Lord. He he expands on this in the second line of verse one. He says this, "So, so blessed is the man who fears the Lord who greatly delights in his commandments. So there's two things to note here. First, commandments. So these commandments, these are God's rules for for living in his own world. They're his instructions. They're his orders. Remember, God is the one who invented the universe, right? So, So he gets to be the one who decides how it's gonna run. He gets to set up the rules. And the blessed man, the man who fears the Lord, Delights in these commandments. Now, this is more than just a, a head knowledge. Okay, this isn't about being a Bible buff. Um, no, to, to, to fear the Lord is applicable. It looks like action. It's not just knowing God's commandments, it's doing them. I had a, I had a classmate in college who, um, who I would consider a Bible buff. He, he, just, he loved to talk about the Bible. Um, but I never saw him live a life consistent with what was written in it. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's not delight in his commandments. That's mere head knowledge. That's not what the psalmist is talking about here. Fear of Yahweh isn't just some passive awe or just some head knowledge. It's an active embracing of all that God has said. It's agreeing with God on his perspective of life. It's, it's leaning in to know God more fully. In fact, and this is the, the, the second thing to note in this phrase, so there's the commandments. To fear Yahweh means not only to obey God's commandments, it does, it involves action, it's obedience, but it's beyond obedience, it involves greatly delighting in God's commandments. Now that might sound weird to us. Greatly delighting in commandments. like Commandments? That might sound too much like Todd obsessing over board game rules, (laughs) which I've been known to do. It's not that. This delight in God's commandments isn't about loving rules for their own sake. It's about delighting in the God who gave those rules. It's about a relationship. It's about loving a God who cares for us enough to give us direction on how to live life well in the world he made. This great delight in his commandments is nothing shy of joy. It's not just delight, it's great delight. Now, if you're like me, when you hear this description of the man who who fears Yahweh and takes joy in his commandments, you might think to yourself, man, I am just so incredibly far from that. Um, I have a hard time Remembering God's commandments, I have a hard time following God's commandments, and much less do I have a hard time delighting in God's commandments. You might just feel like, I need to do better. But that can just leave us discouraged and overwhelmed and doesn't lead to delight. (laughs) And and while it is implied in in this psalm that we ought to fear the Lord, and that we ought to follow His commandments, and we ought to, the only explicit command in this whole psalm, the only thing he calls us to do explicitly is in the intro. Praise the Lord. That's the one command. That's the one to-do that the psalmist gives us. Praise Yahweh. Why? Why is Yahweh worth Praising? Here's why. He blesses those who fear him. This word blessing, it's the first word in the acrostic. That call, praise the Lord, comes before the, the true acrostic. It's kind of just an intro. It's meaningful, but it's an intro. Blessed is how the, the psalmist decides to start off his psalm. Guys, that's it. That's a gracious invitation. The psalmist is saying, this is who you want to be. You want blessing? Check it out. There's a way. This, this blessing is how the psalmist intends to, to inspire us to, to live a life in the fear of the Lord. In fact, he spends the next eight verses of his psalm, out of only 10 verses, expounding upon what this blessing looks like. So, if you feel overwhelmed by the call to fear the Lord... Then listen up. Because we're about to hear just how good fearing Yahweh really is. How much delight it produces, how much joy it gives us. The psalmist has made his claim that fearing Yahweh is really good, okay. Now he's about to bombard us with reasons why. So that brings us to point two: the evidence. The evidence. So why is fearing Yahweh really good? We'll look at five reasons. Now, we're gonna we're gonna borrow from um, the acrostic structure that our psalmist decided to use. So right, so he, in, in Hebrew, A, B, C, D. Um, we're, we're gonna do that here, and, and the hope is that it's also more memorable. That's the goal, is that it's more memorable uh, because there's so many reasons. I mean, he, he just, it's, he hops around to so many good things. They're tied together, but he just wants to inundate us with, with uh, just a, a flood of, of reasons to say, it's worth it, it's good, there's blessing here. Check it out. So, here are the reasons we're going to look at. A, abundant provision. B, blessing to others. C, clarity in life. D, durable through trials. And E, enduring righteousness. So, we're going to take a look at each one, and then we're going to see how it applies to us. So, A, abundant provision. We see this in verses 2 and 3. How is the man who fears the Lord blessed? Verse 2. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. So this blessed man has offspring, children, right? And, and they grow up to be, to be influencers, rulers, people who have authority or impact, It also says that that wealth and riches are in his house, so he's financially well off. He has sufficient funds to take care of himself and his family and those around him. Now, a note here. In wisdom literature, the writer often speaks in generalities. In other words, these verses shouldn't be taken as a direct promise that God will give you children or a good job if you fear him and obey him. He might, but that may not be his plan. Consider, for example, the, the poor woman in Jesus' day who went to the temple as people were giving their tithes and offerings. right? She put in two small copper coins. She was, she was dirt poor. And Jesus saw her faith. And he honored her above all the others who were giving. She feared the Lord, but was poor. And yet, she had Jesus' own words honoring her. So we see that sometimes the righteous are poor. And likewise, sometimes they're barren. Sometimes you don't have kids, sometimes you can't have kids. If that's you today, a a feeling of, of not having these things that you see in the psalm. Don't give up fearing the Lord. He does mean to abundantly provide for you. That may include physical children, but it may also include spiritual children, those whom God has put under your influence as a son or daughter. And and that that effort bears fruit for eternity, friends. He, He may give you a great job or he may not, but he will give you all that you need. He will provide for you. He will sustain you and give you grace for each day. The portrait that the psalmist is painting here is of a person whose life is well-supplied, meaningful and, and lasting. Fearing Yahweh is really good because the Lord abundantly provides for those who fear him. But not only does God provide for his own he, he makes them a blessing to others. And that leads us to the, to, the, to the second evidence. B, blessing to others. This is already hinted at in the verses we just read. Note that the generation of the upright, so his offspring, they will be blessed. So not only is the man who fears the Lord blessed, his offspring are now the recipients of the Lord's blessing as well. That is, his blessing extends beyond himself. He's not only the recipient of blessing, he is a means of blessing. I think of Abraham, um, when God called him out from, from he was a, 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 a no-name, a no <laughs> his name was Abram at the time. God called him out, Genesis 12, we read about this, and he, God makes a covenant with him. He says, I will make you blessed so that, I'll make your name great so that all the, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He's saying, I'm gonna make you a blessing so that you are a blessing, or make, make you blessed so that you are a blessing to others. So the Lord makes those who fear him a blessing to others. One primary means by which we are a blessing to others is through generosity. Verse five speaks of this. It says, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, the one who, who fears the Lord, he deals generously with others. He, he, makes it that, he, he makes it a good deal for them. That's what it means to deal generously with someone. When I, when I think of those who, who deal generously, uh, immediately I think of Steve Eckert. Uh, for those who don't know Steve, he's a mechanic in our church, and he has a reputation of de- dealing fairly and generously with others. You know Steve has your best interest in mind. And, and he's always looking uh, for ways to save you to, uh, uh, save you money on what he's doing. And when you talk to Steve, you, you get to know a man who, who trusts in the Lord. He's generous with others because he trusts that God will supply his own needs. That's what the fear of the Lord produces. A trust in God and his provision that equips you to be a blessing. To others. Steve is an example, and thank you, Steve, for being an example if you're listening to this, um, of what it looks like to deal generously, to conduct one's affairs with justice. And it is it is a sweet, obviously, we're blessed by Steve, but it is also a sweet privilege to be the person who blesses others. And such is the life of the one who fears the Lord. So it's good to fear the Lord, but there's even more evidence. We're going to keep trucking along. It brings us to the third thing, see clarity in life. We get this from verse 4. It says this, Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. So what does it mean for for light to dawn in the darkness? Well, darkness obscures our vision, right? Um, I can tend to forget that in the city, uh, because there's just plenty of streetlights around us, and we don't really we don't really know darkness very often. Um, but the the original uh, the original listeners certainly did <laughs> a few thousand years ago. For the light bulb, <laughs> you're out in the you're out in the wilderness in Israel. Yeah, you know what darkness is at night. I'm reminded that when I'm camping up in the mountains um, and I'm up in the middle of the night, I I, I remember just how much I depend on light for clear direction. Without light, I can't tell if that dark thing a few meters in front of me is, is, is a tree or a person or some dangerous <laughs> animal. It's just like a blur. And, and it's easy to get lost. It's hard to know which way you're going. Um, it's, it's hard to know if there's any danger around. Um, you, you, you don't, without light, you, you, you don't have clarity. You don't have direction. You don't have safety. But when light dawns, when the morning hits, these all go away. Instead, you do see clearly. You you do know your way, and you're able to avoid danger. The psalmist says that this is what it's like for the upright. That is, those who live sensibly in God's world, that's what it means to be upright, You living sensibly in God's world, they have clear direction in life. They know where they're headed. And where they're headed is godliness or godlikeness. The psalmist says of the upright, that next line, he is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Now, this is actually pretty surprising because these words are typically used in Scripture to describe God, not man. But here they do describe man. And, and this, this interesting parallel is made even more clear when you look at this psalm in, in, in company with Psalm 111. Psalm 111, the psalm right before our, our psalm. It's also an acrostic, just like Psalm 112. And it's a companion psalm to ours. Psalm 111, uh, it celebrates the goodness and the, and the trustworthiness of Yahweh. And Psalm 112 celebrates those who fear Yahweh. So they are companion psalms. Here is what is amazing. In the second part of Psalm 11, verse 4, it says this of God, okay? The Lord, Yahweh, is gracious and merciful, and in the exact same spot in verse in Psalm one twelve, it says this to the upright: He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. That's an amazing parallel. The psalmist is saying this: Just as Yahweh is gracious and merciful, so are those who fear Him. The upright resemble God Himself. That's remarkable. There is no higher um, privilege, no higher compliment than to be compared with the best being in and outside of this universe. It is a blessed thing to resemble your gracious and merciful creator. A person who fears the Lord has a happy and clear goal to become more like God himself, who is happy. (laughs) Our God is a happy God. So those who fear the Lord, they have abundant provision. They're a blessing to others. They have clarity in life as they uh, pursue becoming more like their gracious God in heaven. But the fear of the Lord produces even more good stuff. We're not done. Evidence D, durable through trials. Now, actually, the, Psalm, the psalmist spends the most time uh, on this evidence of blessing. He devotes three full verses to this one theme. Let's read them again, verses 6 through 8. They say this. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Unmoved unafraid, firm, steady. These words communicate that the righteous man is unshaken by life's trials. He's durable. He will last. He will, as verse six says, be remembered forever. Now note that the righteous man isn't trouble-free. He still hears bad news he still has adversaries but the bad news and the adversaries don't cause him to be afraid rather than fearing them he fears God on this concept of fear I think the word for worried in Spanish uh, sheds some light here it's like one of the very few things I remember from Spanish class (laughs) sorry mom but the word, the word for worried in Spanish, I'm going to butcher this, so help me out, Ruth. <laughs> Preocupado. Oh, yeah. it's all good. Gracias. Preocupado. It's the same word, as you might imagine, for preoccupied. That's, that's revealing. To be, it's, it, they don't have two separate words for that in Spanish, as far as I know. To be worried about something is to be preoccupied with it. If you're worried about your grades, or the article you read online, or your rent that just keeps going up, or, or how long you're going to stay single, then your mind is going to be preoccupied with thoughts about that stuff. And then our, our joy becomes a function of our, of our circumstances, right? We're at the mercy of, of our job, of our friends of our family, of the news for our, for our deepest happiness. And, and when these things let us down, we fall into fear and anxiety and worry. But the righteous man isn't shaken like this. The psalmist says his heart is firm. His heart is fixed. His soul has an anchor that keeps him from being tossed to and fro by the winds of bad news and enemies. So what is this man's anchor? How do you become fixed? How does he stay so well grounded? Well, this is his anchor. He trusts in the Lord. Verse seven, second line. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. So instead of fearing the things around him and being preoccupied with whether things will go his way, instead of fearing those, he fears Yahweh. And he's preoccupied with the thoughts of the Lord and the Lord's promises to him. That's what's filling his mind. And because he trusts in a trustworthy God, and because he's acutely aware of God's nearness to him, he's not afraid when bad news hits. He may still be bummed, but it doesn't, it's not the end of the world for him in the midst of life's turmoils, and they are real when unexpected medical bills hit or the car breaks down again or that long-term friend lashes out and and you're caught off guard because you thought you had a tighter relationship than that. When those things happen, the righteous man remains calm, knowing that God is behind and in control of everything that happens to him. He's confident that the Lord will carry him through every trial, providing abundant and sufficient grace for every day. Now, I don't know about you, but when, uh, but, 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 but I want this to describe me. I, I, I want to be like this righteous man whose, whose heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. I want to be unafraid of bad news. But far too often, that doesn't describe me. I can be far too easily shaken uh, by the things I hear, and, and I can be far too easily fearful of what others think about me, or even just what I think they think about me. You may feel the same way. But friend, there is good news for us. This good news is shown most vividly in our last evidence of why fearing Yahweh is so incredibly good. Evidence E, enduring righteousness. We see this. It's, it's going to take us a second to unpack this, but it's worth it. We see this in both verse 3 and verse 9. For the man who fears the Lord, it says that his righteousness endures forever. Now, note, the psalmist mentioned this twice on purpose. It wasn't just like, I can't think of another line, so I'll throw it in again. No, he thought it was worth repeating for a reason. And in fact, that's harder to do in an acrostic because as you might imagine, you've got to start each line with a different letter. So he wants to use the same phrase twice. He, he got this to work. He literally adds an and in front of the phrase just so he can get it again in verse three and verse nine. Okay, so he, he's prioritizing this. He's getting it to work in this difficult structure. He's determined to get this line in twice, so we better listen up, okay? So we, we, we got to figure out what does this mean? Well, we're going to look at it in context. First, we'll look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this, wealth, we read it before, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. So here the psalmist is celebrating the, man, uh, the man's abundant financial blessing, but that's not all that the psalmist celebrates. Quick note on the way the psalms are written, there's, there's a reason they come, that the lines come in pairs, right? In your Bible, there's like that indent. That's purposeful. That has to do with the, 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 the poetry, the, the way they write it. Line A is some statement, and then line B follows up with some expansion on that idea. It might be a contrast. It might be a, well, here's some clarity to it. Um, I heard someone explain it as this. A, and what's more, B, Okay? So wealth and riches are in his house, and what's more, his righteousness endures forever. The man who fears the Lord is not only blessed with abundant financial provision, he is spiritually wealthy. And actually, this this phrase in in verse 3, his righteousness endures forever, again, it aligns with our favorite psalm, 111, exactly with the same phrase in that companion psalm. Psalm 111, after celebrating God's works, it says this of God, and his righteousness endures forever. That's speaking of God. And that's the same same thing it says here of the man who is blessed by God. His righteousness endures forever. Again, this is an amazing parallel. God's righteousness endures forever. And the blessed man's righteousness endures forever. So without even knowing more about what this phrase actually means, we haven't really unpacked it yet. We already know it has to do with abundant spiritual blessing and likeness to God. That's a great start. But we gain even more clarity on what this really means by looking at verse nine. Verse nine expands it more. Verse nine is talking about the righteous man. It goes like this, line one. He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. Line two, so what's more, his righteousness endures forever. And line three, which doesn't happen too often, so what's even more, his horn is exalted in honor. Just take that one step at a time. Line one, the psalmist again reestablishes that this righteous man, that uh, that he's generous. This is the generosity we heard about earlier. But now the righteous man, he's going above and beyond just dealing fairly and, and generously. He's, he's, right now, he's straight up giving money away. <laughs> he's not just being fair, making it a good deal. He's giving money. It's not lending. It's giving. He's not requiring this to come back. He's distributing freely. And this phrase, distributing freely, literally means, the word literally is scattered. He scatters and gives to the poor. This imagery of scattering brings to mind a farmer, right, who, who scatters seed. The farmer's not just throwing seed out there because he likes the dirt, right? There's a purpose to him scattering seed. He scatters seed in the hope of a future harvest. That's the whole point he's doing this. This is how Paul understood this verse. Um, he, he references our verse. When he, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, he wrote to them about giving to the needy Jerusalem Christians. He quoted this same verse, and then he wrote this. Okay, so Paul, after quoting Psalm 12, verse um, whatever we are, nine, he says this. He who supplies seed to the sower, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increased the harvest of your righteousness. Notice the word harvest of righteousness. In other words, the same God who provides you with a job and with food on your plate will give you plenty so that you can live, give generously to others. The seed of of generosity scattered among others isn't wasted. Instead, it is an investment it produces a harvest of righteousness. The point is this, the man who trusts God's provision gives generously to others and lays the groundwork for a harvest of righteousness. Whatever that is, (laughs) sounds good. We'll look at it more, but that's that's what he's doing. It's an investment. And that harvest of righteousness, that idea leads us directly into the second line of this verse, which is his righteousness endures forever. So we're seeing this. He's scattering seed. It's an investment of what? Of a, of a harvest of righteousness. What the righteous man sows in generosity in this life, he's going to reap in abundance in the next. The righteous man performs, um, I don't know what I wrote here. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he in, what, what, what he does endures not only uh, in, in the sphere of those Uh, around whom he blesses here, his righteousness endures not only in this life, uh, the the effects of of the blessings of of him being generous, it endures forever. That goes beyond this life. That is, God will eternally reward and commend him for trusting Yahweh and caring for others. And then the cherry on the top, the the third line in our verse, his horn is exalted in honor. In the Psalms, the horn is a symbol of power and honor. So for his horn to be exalted in honor means that he is recognized and commended. By whom? By God. So we could say it this way. The man who fears and trusts in Yahweh will be forever honored by God, reaping an eternal abundance of rewards in the sweet favor of his heavenly Father, it is a blessed thing indeed to fear the Lord. Now, after reading that description of the righteous man, if we're honest with ourselves, we realize we fall short of this ideal. None of us has perfectly feared the Lord and delighted in his commandments, and given generously to others, sowing seed for future rewards. None of us have done that perfectly. The Psalms themselves affirm this. Psalm 14.3 says that there is none who does good, not even one. Not even one. So our hope can't be in our own righteousness. That's not how we should leave reading this Psalm. It can't be, we got to do better. Okay, can't be in our own ability to keep and delight in God's commandments. We'll never do it perfectly, which is what God requires. But there is one who did fear God and delight in his commands perfectly. His name is Jesus Christ. And it's only because of him can we be counted before God as righteous. Christ had to pay the penalty for the sins that we've committed And it is Christ's righteousness alone that makes us acceptable before God. The only way we can have an enduring righteousness is because God has given us a righteousness that we get from Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's our only hope for receiving God's blessing. You want to be a blessed man? You have to fear the Lord. And to fear the Lord looks like trusting His plan for salvation. It looks like casting yourself upon Christ for righteousness. It looks like obeying and living in the good of the gospel. God's command is, believe in my son, repent of your sins, recognize you can't do it. Recognize that he did. Trust in him, not yourself. The reason Yahweh is so worth praising is that he blesses people who don't deserve it. People like you and me. So, let's follow the psalmist's lead. To praise Yahweh, for He blesses those who fear Him. Now this would seem like a great place to end, right? Happily ever after. but it's not quite done yet. The psalmist isn't quite done yet. He has one last thing to say before, uh, that we need to hear before we leave today. and that's the contrast that he gives in verse 10. So point three, the contrast. Contrast is seen in verse 10. It says this. The wicked man sees it, that is the the exaltation of the man who fears the Lord. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. So after all that the psalmist has said about the, the blessed man who fears God, he very briefly describes the man who doesn't fear God. He gives lots of verses to this man who will endure And only one little verse to this little wicked man who just sputters away. It's revealing about the amount of importance that he even plays. Those who don't fear Yahweh are the wicked. Make no mistake, if you don't fear Yahweh and trust in Christ for salvation, you are counted by God as wicked. There's no other alternative. There's fearing God and there's being in your sin and wickedness. And for the wicked, those who don't fear Yahweh and come under the rule of His Son, Jesus Christ, their end is quite the opposite of the righteous. While the righteous remain calm in life, the wicked becomes angry and vexed. While the righteous are a blessing to others, the wicked gnash their teeth. While the righteous are firm and steady, the wicked melt away. While the righteous receive eternal honor, the desire of the wicked perishes. The psalmist is saying this, don't be like the wicked man. The alternative to fearing the Lord is a terrible one. The only end for those who don't submit to God's plan is death, first physical death, and then followed by a second death of eternal punishment by a holy God who cannot tolerate sin or wrongdoing or imperfection. If you don't fear Yahweh, by trusting in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin before God, then your end is miserable. But it doesn't have to stay that way. He wants, (laughs) this last verse is evidence of God's kindness toward you. He put it in here as a warning. That's a gift. He wants to warn you of the end for those who don't fear and submit to him. And he invites you to partake of all the blessings that are laid out in this psalm. And the way you access those blessings is not through doing better. It's through repenting of your sin and trusting Christ alone for the right for your right standing before God. I hope you do that today, and I'd love to talk with you. I truly would. love to talk with you if you have more questions about that, if you're not sure. I'd like the Band to, to come up here as we close. We're all wicked. We are all wicked apart from God's grace. But God has made a way for us to be counted righteous, to have an enduring righteousness, and that is by fearing Yahweh and trusting in his son. That is, it is simply amazing that God would bless sinners like us, that he would give us an abundant provision that He would make us a blessing to others; that He gives us clarity in life; that He makes us durable through trials; and that He grants us an enduring righteousness. Yahweh blesses those who fear Him, and it makes Him worthy of our praise. So, we sing with the psalmist, "Praise the Lord." Let's do that together. Let's stand.